this is Gilbert Gottfried, and I'm here with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and this is Gilbert and Frank's amazing colossal obsessions. And tonight we are in the daytime, if we're listening in the or this afternoon. <laughs> Ah, uh, we'll be talking. That covers everything. To Gary Girani. Yay. Return guest, Gary Girani. Yes, yes. Very happy to be here again. Welcome back, my friend. Mm-hmm. Gar- one. Gary, wonderful. to people who are hardcore listeners of the uh, of the mini episodes or even the full episodes, Gary was recently here for our Twilight Zone anniversary show with mm-hmm. uh, with Rod Serling's daughter. It was really cool. And the talented Nick Parisi, mm-hmm. who wrote a terrific book. <laughs> And he's and he, you were you did trading card shows for us. Oh yeah, in the past. Yes, I and, am the card king. And yes, we he's were the talking. Card. We were talking off the air about Night Gallery, and I said sacrilege. I said I didn't like the tearing down Tim O'Reilly's book. <laughs> okay. I didn't not think sacrilege. it was good. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I know that's one of the most acclaimed episodes of the so Night Gallery. I, 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 I remember. I, 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 then I didn't like it. I saw it years later. I thought maybe I was wrong. Nope. Well, you Still. know what you got to check out? The Messiah of Mott Street, which is oh, a, another acclaimed episode. Oh, that's G- the one with Edward G. And, G. and Robinson. Yeah. That's a good one. And, yeah. Sa- and Sam Jaffe. Yeah. And and do you like that one? That's another? That's a good one. Yeah, I hope that, you like one, that, one. that one I like. <laughs> I like that one I, I like. I like the original. Is it, is it a pilot or was it done as a TV movie with Ro- Roddy McDowell as the uh, it's oh, the, oh, that was the, the, the pilot. pilot. Yes. Yeah, the yeah. Pilot. Well, that's a, that's a so good one. With Ozzie Davis. So interesting that you mentioned that. Because that was the original two-hour pilot for Night Gallery. That's that, the one who had Joan Crawford. Yes, right. that was Steven Spielberg's Spielberg. debut as yeah. a filmmaker. He did that Joan Crawford episode. and With Tom Bosley. And Tom Bosley is yeah. wonderful in it. He's the one who gives up his eyes yes. right, yeah. so Joan Crawford can see. Uh, that entire two-hour pilot was scored by Billy Goldenberg, a perfect who's this setup. wonderful composer that I was, as, as much as I love Bernard Herrmann and Jerry, all these other great composers, Billy Goldenberg's music spoke to me so directly, mm-hmm. and he did a marvelous job with that, because those three stories, they all were very different stories. Yep. And the Roddy McDowell was, he was saying, you know, I, I created this, uh, he was a, a busy little, buzzy little bee, so he created this little sound effect as his theme, do-do-do-do, you know, with electronic instruments. So he's just a brilliant So this guy. is the perfect segue. You're working with Billy on a documentary mm-hmm. about his life and his career. Yeah, I was so obsessed with this man's music, and most of the work that he, I mean, he's a famous guy, the the Beatles loved him, he he, he get, worked with Barbara Streisand, and mm-hmm. he gave Elvis Big Presley Tell us some of the films he scored, too. Oh, uh, uh, he's mo- he's mostly famous for doing uh, the early Columbo episodes, mm-hmm. which were really remarkable music. Mm-hmm. But he did feature films in addition to great TV work. He did uh, Play It Again, Sam. Sure. He, he did The Last of Sheila. Love that one. Uh, yeah, a lot of inter- uh, Busting, which is a good movie, and he did a great score. But his greatest filmed work was really films, films for television. He was one constant... Emmys, a million Emmys for miniseries and Queen of the Stardust Ballroom, which he's he's getting you know started again on on as a play, uh, an incredible. And he was uh, Elvis's favorite composer. And and when Elvis had his comeback special, Billy was the key guy there. He gave Elvis a number one single again. Very for cool. All these years, Streisand, all these people loved him. 
And I just loved his music. He did all those made-for-TV horror movies in the 70s. Like Night Gallery, that was like one of the first. And then so many, you know, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark Uh with the little gnome creatures. That's Billy. Fear No Evil, Ritual of Evil, the UFO incident. Billy Goldenberg. This this guy is brilliant. I I did Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Oh, or are, are you afraid of that? That's different. a little different. Are they all afraid of the dark? That's a different animal. Yeah, yeah. No, but, but Billy was such a wonderful guy. The reason I connected with him, not only because like, you want to meet someone that you respect so much, I wanted his music. Because you couldn't get this made-for-TV movies. You can't buy scores for no. things like that. But I figured, if I find the composer... Maybe he has copies of his scores, and he did. So I was in seventh. And then I tried to set up the scores with CDs. It was really difficult. So that's why I finally decided I'm going to do a documentary about him. That way, we'll get the whole story yeah. out, and all that wonderful music can be played. And that's great. Why I'm and it's still that. in development, or it's yeah, still being, uh, being made. It's still I, in production. I, really. I am. I am uh, hoping to have a rough cut, rough assembly on it. In 2020 was the deadline that I gave myself. Uh, I've interviewed just about everybody. Tell us the, some of the people who read the, it. Oh, Robert Wagner. Our friend Robert, Robert Wagner. Wagner. Hey, Robert, Wagner. Yeah. Robert Wagner, yeah. when he came over to my house, which is so hysterical to begin with, he comes over to my apartment. Robert Wagner, right? Uh, it's a rainstorm. He came over anyway because he loves Billy That's so nice. much. Right? Who else is in it? Um Oh, we got Estelle Parsons, who was hilarious. Great. Uh, we've got Susan Clark. We've got all kinds of Susan great Clark people. Susan Clark would be a good guest for this show. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She's a lovely lady. We should call and her. And she is sharp and We should call smart. her. She's done cool stuff. And plus, her brother had a great body of work. Hey, somebody brought up an actor who died recently and how we never thought of him. That actor, Richard Lynch. Oh yeah. oh yeah, yeah. He was in everything. Yeah, well, he would have been great. We can't think of everybody. Let's <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about why Gary is here. Oh. And you could plug the doc again. Why the are you here, Gary? <laughs> well, I was wandering down the street. Yeah. Let me see if you guys had something to do. This is an October episode. Obviously, <laughs> it's a week before Halloween when we're posting this, and Gary uh, is here to. Uh, Talk about Gilbert's favorite topic in the world. Old monster movies. And specifically universal, classic monster movies. Gary published a book. When did this book come out, my friend? Oh, geez, about maybe about six, seven years ago. Six, seven years ago. Top 100 horror movies from uh, horror movies. My Brooklyn accent is giving me away. (laughs) From Fantastic Press. And you got an introduction by Roger Corman. How'd you get Roger Corman to do the introduction? Well, Roger Corman produced a movie I wrote. Uh, uh, yes. It's a movie I don't like to talk about, so it's because it turned out really You don't badly, have to talk but, about but, it. <laughs> no, say it anyway. it's, it's Vampirella, based on the comic book character uh-huh. Vampirella. And, uh, oh, wait, who, was, who played her? Talisa Soto. Talisa Soto was one of the Bond, uh, James Bond leading ladies yeah, in the later sure. years. Uh, and it was on Showtime. They insisted that we have to have an actress who has some kind of credentials, right? Uh, but the movie really, uh, and Roger Daltrey played Dracula, which was a real thrill because he wrote an original song for it. Oh! And it's someone incredible. I'm going down on the set, and I hear something. Gary, Gary, uh, Roger, just finished the song. He wants you to hear it. Roger Daltrey wanted me to hear his song. Oh, <laughs> wow. So even though the movie didn't turn out that great, it was an experience. So you, know? you developed a relationship with Roger. And Roger always loved the script. It was a good script, but it was produced on all oh, the bat transformations. It's like instead of, you know, like Adam Cassell and me, Frank Cassell, when they turn into bats, they look so cool. <laughs> yeah. This is like, it turns into a bowl of dust. It's just uh-huh. awful, awful well, You mean but, to tell me Roger Corman was cutting corners? On the- <laughs> How could that be? That's hard to believe. <laughs> uh, we had him on this show. Have you? Did you hear the episode we did with him? Oh, no, no. I'll send you the link. Oh, it was a lot great. of fun. It was a lot of fun. Like, uh, one, one of his famous stories is 
they 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 were doing an outdoor shot and it was nighttime and they said we we don't have any movie lights <laughs> and he goes well you got cars don't you <laughs> and they all turned on their headlights that might have been for that Shatner and, picture yeah That's and they great. lit it that way yeah. but we got to remember Roger Corbin even though he's famous as the king of the bees uh-huh. and all these kind of cheesy movies. He was a brilliant director. His Edgar Allan Poe films oh, with yes. Vincent Price oh, yes. are beautifully oh, yes. directed. And, you ever and lovely those, to look at. Yes, yep. they're, they're gorgeous, yep. and and they showed he had real chops as a he, director. He deserves a lot of credit now for that. Now let's get to my universal. universal. All right, we're gonna go and we're gonna go in chronological order here. And these are and I only did the sound films. I didn't do okay. I, I didn't list I know Phantom of the Opera's in the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll reference them a little as we, we can talk reference about them, the, but uh, I thought Dracula films. was a good place to start, mm-hmm. which came out in February of, of thirty one. So we'll we'll talk about the sound films. I, I wanna know too how you happen to choose these you, you chose the big eight, right? With mm. the exception of, I think, Son of Frankenstein mm-hmm. didn't make it into the book. But Son of Frankenstein did. It must be bubbling under the top 100 yeah, there somewhere. Because it's, it's, it's an under. important title. Yeah. I, I, really. But let's talk about Dracula, which is interesting. Because Gilbert mm-hmm. and I have talked about it on the show. Obviously, we're not the first people to talk about how stagey it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. And how static it, it is. It just looks like a film stage play. Some parts are, are amazing. Mm-hmm. Some parts are actually creative. Mm-hmm. And then it looks like, oh, oh we got to film the play. Well, the only I know what you're saying about how sometimes that actually does work for the movie. It's almost like a silent movie in a lot of ways. In many and ways, and there is something about the deathless quality of Count Dracula and his and his castle that it, 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 you almost are in a slow moving dream. It actually sort of kind of helps it. Um, but Todd Browning, you know, really a lot of people aren't that crazy about the, work, the the job he did on that. It does look a bit like a stage play, particularly in the second half, because it was pretty much based on the stage play of Dracula. Yes. That's kind of what, what they did. There is the Spanish version. Yes, I was going to ask you about the Spanish which is version, a, which, which we is talked about. more cinematic. Uh, there are more camera moves. But here's a classic example of what do you think is better, right? In the Spanish version... They introduce the Dracula character. All of a sudden, Renfield turns around, and at the top of the stairs is Dracula, and the camera moves all the way up to the stairs to finally till you get to him, right? Nice, dramatic move. In the original, it's just Lugosi standing there saying, I am Dracula. No fancy camera moves, nothing. And yet, I prefer... Well, first of all, Lugosi was so great as Dracula that... uh, you could not replace him, and in the Spanish version, it's, it's a different actor. Of course, isn't really of up course. to that. Even though he wasn't their choice, their original choice. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of got, kind of got crazy. But, but yeah. So there are aspects to what Todd Browning that that seems stilted, but which actually have a timeless, strange quality that that kind of sticks with you. I want to ask you about two things, Gil, mm. and this may be a reason. And tell me if you if you think this is bullshit, Gary. I read <laughs> that the stock market crash effect in twenty nine affected the film's budget. And they wound up now. Maybe, maybe mm, this mm. is maybe this no, is no, maybe no. this is incorrect. And they wound up, and um, Uncle Carl made the decision to adapt the play and not the book. And that's one of the reasons that it's that it's a little bit stage bound, or that it was made with less money than they originally intended. You're yeah, making a you're no, making a face because you hear that all the time. You uh-huh. know, there's no way they could have filmed the book. 
I mean, the book is a big, sprawling epic. Mm -hmm. And they had the play to work with, which actually showed how you can tell that story in a reasonable way for an audience. So I'm sure the play was mainly what they always kind of had in mind. Interesting. Uh, there okay. are it parts, could be BS. There are parts where Todd Browning does get creative with oh, yeah. the camera. Oh, yeah. There are great shots in it, mm -hmm. and then it'll go back to a stage play. The best part of it, and everyone has said this, really is the first third when you're with Renfield going to the castle, it's almost like a classic fairy tale, like Beauty and the Beast getting lost in the forest and coming to the castle. So that has all of the, the power and, of the movie. And the special effects with the glowing eyes. Yeah, well, they had flashlights yeah. trying to shoot lights on his eyes so it looked like they were glowing. But they would miss his eye. It would be on his cheek. And you'd see the flashlight trying to get up to the eye. Uh -huh. Well, they later corrected that <laughs> yeah. in The Mummy when they do the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They get to The Mummy. It's perfect. You know, the eyes are perfectly lit. But uh, So Browning, who had worked with Cheney Sr., wanted Cheney. As did everyone. Despite the, the fact that Lugosi had triumphed on stage. Here, Here's the whole story there. Uh I mean, Lon Chaney Sr. was the man of a thousand faces. He was the horror star. And he had done The Hunchback of Notre Dame. He had done Phantom of the Opera and all these other weird parts. So he was the guy. But, you know, he died right around that time. He, he you know, it was his time had come. The other main guy was Conrad Veet, who was the... Um, and I'm pronouncing the name right, kind of Veet, Veit, whatever. But he was the fellow who's most famous for being the bad guy in Casablanca as, as Major Strasser or whatever. He had done a, a horror film for Universal, a silent one, called The yeah. Man Who Laughs with the yeah. Joker. That's right. And, uh, that's yeah, right. I think that's And they where... had him in mind to play Count Dracula. Didn't know that. And that's he would stuff. have been quite amazing in his own right. Lugosi, who had done the play, had to campaign like crazy to get that part. Yeah, he had to yeah. beg. Yes. And now when you see it, it's like... He's the iconic I, Dracula. It's like, I feel like if uh, Bram Stoker came back and said, no, he's not right, I'd say, fuck you. <laughs> uh, he's better than the book you wrote. Yeah, very often these guys will realize that what they created for the script. I just realized that Ian Fleming admitted, wow, the James Bond you created for the movies is so much better than what I created. Because the James Bond in the movies has a sense of humor, mm -hmm. it's witty, whereas the, it's very dry if you actually... Sure. You know, the character so gets developed. Sometimes the creators are able to appreciate what was, what was done in film. Was there an epilogue cut where Van Sloan... Edward Van Sloan oh, spoke, spoke yeah, to yeah. the audience. Uh, Van Sloan would speak to the audience also in, in the original opening. trailer that they did, which is pretty much not available too. He was like the host who was taking you into this world, a little old Professor Van Helsing. And then he wound up playing that kind of role yes. in a few other, I mean, in The Mummy, it's almost the same thing. Yes, all yes, over yes. Again. I find the, 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 uh, the, the way the dominoes fall interesting. Had mm. Cheney not died and Lugosi doesn't get this part, then they're not considering Lugosi for Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. The only reason they considered him was because Dracula, you know, was a big deal and a logical thing, right? Well, thank goodness we didn't play the Frankenstein monster. And, and th what happened there is that it was a director, Robert Flory, uh -huh. uh, who was originally supposed to direct Frankenstein. Murders in the Rue Morgue, uh, that's Robert what, Flory. Th that's where he wound up, right? right. Now, 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 he lost the gig on Frankenstein. And when he was going to do Frankenstein, yeah, it was going to be Lugosi. He lost the gig to James Whale. James Whale 
was a better director. I, I think Flory's a good director, but James Well was really special. And he's the one who found Karloff. He saw that. I think he saw him, what was it, eating lunch at the studio? They, they say yeah, he saw him at the commissary. He, so they announced Lugosi in April yes. of 31. Oh, yeah. They announced publicly, Gilbert, that Lugosi was yeah. going to play the part. Hey, listen, they also announced that Boris Karloff is going to play the Invisible Man. Right. So they would always make these kind of announcements, and then and, things would and change. And I think originally they were planning on the Wolfman in 1932, and they I think they wanted Boris Karloff as the Wolfman. It was very, very strange. The Universal... In the 30s, right, they had all their huge successes with Frankenstein, Dracula, the Mummy, but they didn't nail the werewolf correctly. Uh, they did Werewolf of London. Which flopped. Uh, which which flopped. Now, yeah. now that's with Henry Hull, who's a, a very, you know, good actor who made movies with Alfred Hitchcock and, you know, very solid actor. Uh, but according to the myth, he didn't want that much makeup done on him. So his werewolf kind of looks more like a, a bat man rather than a wolf it, man. It really looked Strange, like yeah. later on, Nicholson's in is wearing ways. identical makeup, and that's Rick Baker makeup. Uh, there yeah. you go. And I'm sure yeah. Rick <laughs> probably was paying homage to to that. Well, but I heard that Henry Hull didn't just didn't want to hide his face behind that much makeup. It and could that have Pier- been Pierce vanity. Was very yeah, uh, it very easily could have been that, or you know, there might have been other explanations. But the bottom line was the reason why that movie failed. A werewolf has to be sympathetic. It's the ultimate character who's a tragic character. And Henry Hull played it he was as an austere kind of, oh, like, you know, like a, uh, you know, a very kind of uh, like uppity was, kind of guy. You couldn't relate to him. And when they eventually did The Wolfman years later, they completely corrected that mistake and had Larry Talbot as your best friend next door, an earthy guy you could relate to. So that was that was, and, and uh, a lot of people called the Wolfman a horror film noir because <laughs> it's one of those that yeah. just that's interesting. Delete characters, everything just goes wrong, and nothing can ever be right for him. Well, that's true. Well, he is definitely a tragic character. I'm trying to think there was there wasn't a femme fatale that led him into that unless this is the old lady who's the uh, the gypsy yeah. uh, but it has a noir well my god those movies were shot in the studio with those crazy sets and yes. the trees where you could see all the roots and the sticking up machines. and the fog machines right. you were in another world right 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 like a fairy tale back to Frankenstein just for a minute now again this could be bullshit but uh, <laughs> the, I read that the sight of of Lugosi in the makeup <laughs> made Uncle Carl laugh well, you know what they were doing? Even though they did uh, tests. They supposedly yeah, did tests of Lugosi yeah. in the in the monster makeup, mm-hmm. in, the, in the Frankenstein makeup, yes. on the Dracula sets. It was not the Frankenstein makeup we know and love. I see. That was developed later for Carlo. I, I see. I heard the makeup, somebody had said, was similar to the gold. Exactly. I was about to say the same Thing because that's where Frankenstein came from. So they made Lugosi up to look like the gold. This, this, yeah, very strange looking thing. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> supposedly that's why he's I I I can't play this. Now the ultimate version that they used was much much better. You know, it's just a smart design. What and Pierce very came iconic. up with? Yeah, yeah. The, the Pierce thing. Right, right. And even you have to give Karloff some. It was Karloff who took out the bridge in his teeth so that he could have sunken cheeks. Yes. And in Bride of Frankenstein, when the monster talks, 
he had to put it back in because he couldn't talk with it out. So the monster you'll notice from Brian has a, his cheeks are a little a little thicker, heavier than they were in the, the first. The dedication movie. of Karloff, <laughs> and when you realize what he went through, yeah, you know. Did but John was, Carradine he, he, turn down the part too? John Carradine, supposedly. Wow. That I that I know. Someone what I found. showed me. Then uh, could be BS. My friend Alan uh, Asherman showed me what he thinks was a statue, a head mask of the Frankenstein monster that looks very much like Carradine. Like Carradine. Well, you know, Carradine pops up in the Bride of Frankenstein. Yes, he does. In the, yes. in the, the blind man scene. Why whatever. the monster? Right, right. Yes, he does. <laughs> can't, can't you see? Right. It's a classic kind of moment for he him. He sure does. And, and what's funny about those movies, because they hadn't developed, uh, you know, the skull cap yet. So they had to build. So the head yes. goes from big to smaller, bigger. Well, smaller. yeah, those things always change from film to film. But you're right. The style of makeup during the Jack Pierce era, he would just keep building up yeah. on the stuff. Years later, the techniques were so much more advanced. They looked a little rubbery by comparison. Uh, there's a difference between something that's handmade and something that's kind of you know pumped out of a mold. Uh, but that's part of. I mean, look at the mummy. With yeah. that incredible amount of detail yes. in that face. Poor Karloff, right? He had to sit there and have all that. And then he had, they had to take it off. So quite a commitment. The, the right? dedication. Well, yeah, we were talking to Rick about this. <laughs> we had Rick Baker here a couple of days ago. We were talking about how uh, after a while, Karloff just wore the makeup home. <laughs> because it was it yeah. was less stressful. <laughs> then he would have to get touch-ups right. when he came back, but but he didn't have to start I, I, I pity from the square poor one again. Who might see him on the way back? The torture from, from home, but yeah. uh, <laughs> so so he was spotted in the commissary by whale. Yeah, as the story he, goes, he was you James know Will. already an an actor, and he was in Scarface. You know he you know he had his own thing going. Well, he is for in him. Scarface. He's shot in the bowling alley. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> isn't it great to see Boris Koloff yeah, throwing a bowling ball? It's just, very just, strange. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast after this. Let's talk about The Mummy. We're okay. moving through these in chronological order. Mm-hmm. We're going to try to get to as many of them as we can because I'm making Gilbert happy. <laughs> I can see he's happy. 19- yes, he's giving me a hand job under the table. <laughs> Between that and Universal Why Monsters? should this show be any different? <laughs> Life is terrific. <laughs> So Karloff, who doesn't get any kind of billing in the Frankenstein movie because yeah, he's question mark, he, right? he's, he's built, he's insulted, he's built with a question mark. And again, this could be BS too, but I'm I'm hearing he wasn't even invited to the premiere. Is that true? <laughs> that I don't know. It That's could, what I heard. I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, it could. I be. heard That's that too. Insane. You mean he wasn't invited because they wanted to keep a mystery? About, I have yeah. no idea. Because I mean, why why else would they? Uh, so, <laughs> so Frankenstein is such a sensation that by 32, it's Karloff, yeah. just the last name, and it's above the title. Just like Garbo, just one yes. word, right? right? Yeah. So uh, He made that much of an impact, you know, that, that that's all it took. That, well, it was a great name, Karloff. I'm looking at the posters last night uh, on, the, on, the, on the web, and his name's above the title mm-hmm. in everything, as well as on the title card. Meanwhile, his real name is William Henry we Pratt. Pratt right. He's and a and gentleman from England of course. and Karloff. And right. Pratt is a dirty word in England, too. Did you say that to Sarah when we had her on the show? The what? Did you say that to Sarah? I, I think I, maybe. It's, it's a dirty word, calling someone a prat. Okay, Yikes. so you're talking about the Pierce makeup, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, which is just fantastic. I like it almost as much. I like, we were talking to Rick about this, I like the Lugosi makeup in White Zombie. 
Yes, very, yes. very much. But yes. this, but this makeup is very impressive. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the 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 amount of detail is just remarkable. I mean, you look at that today and you go, oh my god. But even even you know, putting the, the glory of that makeup aside, you talk about the the movie itself. Uh, the Mummy was unusual because. Frankenstein was based on a classic novel, as was Dracula. The Mummy was an original made-for-the-movies universe. Yeah, I was just going to say that. The first one not based on source material. I always felt like The Mummy was a remake of Dracula. It's so similar. You're absolutely right. Uh, Just the same way that The Invisible Man is something of a remake of Frankenstein, you have the same kind of characters, the second male lead who's interested in the girl. Right, there's a parallel between Dracula and the Mummy. It, it also they have the same cast, other than Lugosi. You know, you've got uh, 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 David Manners. Yeah, he you've turns got up Evergrande everywhere. Sloan, yes. right? yeah. So, so, and they're pretty much <laughs> playing the same kind of characters. So it was almost like they redid. You're right, the Dracula thing. But again, Invisible Man is also a reworking of the of the formula of Frankenstein. You know, it's it's yeah. he disappears. It's working. They look for him. Why, why yes. mess with it? And now, yet, and yet, they're such good movies. Yes, you on their don't, own. you don't, you don't think of them as imitations of each other because they were so distinctive in their own way. Now, what, what were the problems that Colin Clive had? I think he a lot of problems. He, yeah, yeah, he well, like went nuts toward the end. <laughs> I think he died two years after Bride. Yeah. Yeah, he had, uh, a, he had a alcohol. He, he had a drinking. He problem. had he had uh, he had issues. Um, he was originally supposed was one of the. Key people, I think the main person that Whale wanted initially to play the Invisible Man, that voice would, you would have been hearing instead of Claude Rains. And he played hysterical very well. Oh, well, yes, yes. It's alive, it's alive. <laughs> yeah. It's a, yeah, right, yeah. right, right. And yeah. he would have made a good, his voice would have been great as the Invisible Man. I mean, I think they got the right guy, but uh, but he was seriously considered for a while. I, I heard he was once either on a play or in a movie, and he was doing a dramatic scene and he broke down crying, and they had to stop shooting or take him off stage. He was like, he was a, yeah, crying he was a, a frail fellow, yeah. emotionally fragile. Yeah, yeah, but a, but a wonderful hate, and he achieved immortality. Absolutely. So you know, you have to say to yourself, "I'm crazy, I'm nuts, and whatever," and yet. They'll be watching his performance forever. By the way, you're saying uh, that The Mummy, you point out that The Mummy was the first one not based on source material, yet based on recent events. It was oh, based whole... on the opening of King Tut's right, Tomb only right. a decade earlier. How cool in, was in that? In 22. To take that real life you know, thing clever, and clever. then turn it into a, a an original monster character. Right? You know, it's a it's a it's a an interesting performance. He underplays in that movie, mm-hmm. Kar- Karloff, and yet I, he's terrifying on so many levels. I, that, it, it's one of my favorites. When I first saw that movie as a kid... It's chilling in a way that... Well, I was, I, I was first thrown by the fact that you only see him with all the bandages and the mummy proper, if you will, just in the first few minutes of the film. And then the rest of the movie, he becomes sort of like a, almost like a Fu Manchu kind of guy, you know, with the fez and whatever. Very soft-spoken, as you've been saying. But he's not a bandaged monster coming after you anymore, which is what the later Mummy movies always did. Sure, sure. So uh, that kind of threw they me. Cheapened it was, and it was, the, it was the only Mummy movie that went that route, you know, I mean, that, that actually gave you this kind of different version and of the How character. many names did the Mummy actually have? <laughs> 
<laughs> there was Imhotep, uh, Amon Ra, Oscar, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Eddie, Karis uh, was in the cheap ones, Karis, right, and and then we mustn't forget. Uh, Ardeth Bay, Ardeth Bay. Ardeth, oh, which yes, is the name he takes, of right? Yeah, and, yeah. and that was that was his presentable version of himself. He must have taken his bandages off and taken a bath, and then kind of you know you can still see he's a wrinkled old guy. But that's Ardeth Bay who leads them to dig up the tomb of his of his lost love. And yeah. that's where the plot goes. Yeah, I read there was a reincarnation scene that didn't make it into the final <sighs> film. Well, the leading lady, uh, Zita Johan. Zita Johan. Oh, yeah. she. First of all. She's such an interesting lady. She's different than most of the actresses. I mean, listen, nothing against Evelyn Anchors or any of these other wonderful right. people, but she had a curious quality, and she was into, in real life, reincarnation and mysticism. Interesting. They had extended scenes of her reincarnations all through the... You know, toward the end of the movie, when he, she's got this mirror in front of her, when she shows up there, well, that to be, that scene through that mirror, you had seen all of those sequences that they filmed all over the years, how she was reborn, and they wound up cutting all that because they felt it was shifting the attention to her and away from Karloff. And they didn't want to take the chance of, of lessening him. So she, you know, but she was wonderful. I, I wish that footage would surface. Barry Levinson lists The Mummy as one of his favorite, oh, of wow. one of his favorite movies in the world. That's this wild. is deep dive trivia. Let's quit <laughs> in, the, in the six or seven minutes we have left in this one. Let's move on to 1933 and The Invisible Man, mm-hmm. which you have just talked about. The special effects hold up to this day. Just watching that movie. I was just watching last night. And and uh, you know they never let up because all through that movie this there's something interesting that's uh, John Fulton's special effects, uh, but you know that's the only Universal movie from that horror classic from that period that could kind of pass as a normal movie uh, because it was based on the H.G. Wells classic. And even though sure. he was a crazy, that would very often be shown uh, not alongside the others, but on its own. My father never, didn't have any use for horror movies, but that one was he respectable. Made an exception for the yeah. and, and if you're not a big horror freak, uh, you can watch it because it's got the old lady from Titanic. That's true. Stewart. That's right. I forgot she's in that. Yes, she is. Did when? Now, did Karloff again? Was Karloff the original choice for this part? I read to say. I read conflicting things. I read that he and Whale. Were at odds? It was a weird thing, too. He was going to also be playing, I think, uh, Cagliostro, the great magician. Yes. I mean, there was all these other weird... I mean, he was attached to... His name was attached to all of those projects. Why wouldn't projects. it be at this point? And, you know, you talk about the parallel similarities, uh, as Gilbert brought up, between Dracula... Uh, like, it's almost a remake in, in, in some ways. Uh, uh, I, I guess... The idea was not to stray too much from the formulas that were working. Uh, and as I say, though, each of those films does kind of stand on its own. I, I heard, like, Karloff, he left Universal, and I guess he was with RCA or whatever. And Well, uh, well Karloff and Lugosi both, uh, uh, you know, were contracted to Universal. Uh but they wound up doing a lot of cheap movies for other companies, yeah. too. Karloff's choices were generally better. He would turn up in things like The Walking Dead, which yeah. is a Warner Brothers movie. Oh, and 
what I can say. I mean, listen, no one's going to take anything away from Frankenstein. The Those are great performances. My favorite Karloff performance. Have you ever seen The Body Snatcher? Oh, oh yes. Sure. yes. Oh, my we're, we're, God. He's we're going to do a whole Val Luton show down the, the road. And The Body Snatcher, it's so nice to see Lugosi come back. Yeah. yeah. He's great in that. I, I mean, it's kind of sad because I believe... Lugosi was supposed to play the Henry Danielle role because originally they wanted Karloff Lugosi as equals, but Robert Wise, I think, realized Interesting. that Lugosi wasn't quite up to it and Henry Danielle was. So Lugosi and, wound up that small role as Joseph, you know. And I remember Karloff sings some song <sighs> that's about... You know, that's a spooky uh, one. Oh, birching, birching, yeah, right? Because right, that really was that yes, he based on the reality. Yes, Daniel. Oh, what he does in that, he does almost like a little dance. He's yes, uh, he's incredible. And, and Lagosi, very deadpan, yes. goes, "I don't understand yeah. Yeah. what this all means." <laughs> and it was almost very like good. like Chico. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Hey, boss. You know, in a sad way, some have said, well, there you see it. Karloff made it big in the heart. And and Lugosi had a struggle. And in that scene, it really looks like, here's the guy that's on top of the world. And the other guy that's, oh, poor Lugosi, right? Back yeah. to the Invisible Man real sure. quickly before sure. we get out of here. And we're, we'll do, we're going to do another one of these afterward for Halloween. I read a couple of things. I read that Karloff turned it down. I read that Whale wanted a, a more intellectual voice <laughs> for the scientists and that he heard Reigns being screamed tested for another movie you don't know if these stories are true these things so the, the the test of time over the years how these stories and have changed I, I also read that hg wells was not pleased with the way island of lost souls turned he out hated island of lost Souls. so he won he demanded that they treat his his source material with more respect i think island this of lost around. souls is a wonderful movie yes, I, we, that, well here. We, don't, we both love it that holds up yes. that's one of those that at, I mean, the scene where they're crashing through and getting, like, oh, the surgical equipment. Yeah, yeah. And then you hear you hear Moreau. It was Charles Lawton playing Moreau. And you hear him, and they're going, oh, oh, you know, like that yes. crazy scream. But, but, but and, Paramount, right? And they, had, yeah. they had that yeah. hot-looking girl who was the leopard. Was it Aquanetta? Yeah. Aquanetta. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been so long that I've, I've, I've seen it. But, yeah, uh, she was half panther, half human. Uh, and she winds up, you know, kind of saving them at the end. She becomes a good girl, you know. If Wells hated that one, it's a good thing he didn't live to see the Brando version. Oh, <laughs> God! <laughs> that, that's a jaw-dropper. But my favorite with the Brando version is this one part oh, after no. Brando is, <laughs> dies or is killed... Uh, uh, what, what's his, um... Val Kilmer? Val Kilmer starts doing a Brando oh, yes. imitation. imitation. Have you seen the documentary about the making of that movie? Oh, God, that must have been the most insane thing ever made, that film, because... That, I guess, to me, when he goes into the Brando <sighs> imitation, I thought, this is where it's officially... The whole thing, yeah, completely <laughs> nuts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Invisible well, Man is... Very, Gilbert's right. The effects hold up, and it's very well made. Mm -hmm. And Reigns is very strong. And the in, dialogue in that part. is it's so... well written. It's, it's so crisp. Everything it's so about clever. It. That funny little hat. I always liked it. <laughs> <laughs> is it true right, that... Right. Do, doing the, the kind of sweet stuff... And then doing the big, you know, megalomania. Oh, yeah. Even the moon is frightened, frightened to death. You and, know, it's very good. And Claude Rains, 
was a very big Lon Chaney fan, and a lot of his moves are like the Phantom of the Opera. Well, he eventually played the eventually Phantom of the Opera. Eventually played him. Yeah. yeah. A lot I, of people criticize his performance there because it wasn't like the look of the original. It was more like a scarred yeah. kind of a thing. They were trying to do a little bit more of a realistic approach at that point. That was Universal's first Technicolor yeah. movie. John Houston and Preston the, Sturgis both took shots at that script? I'm sorry? The, John Houston and Preston Sturgis oh. both took shots at the Invisible Man script? John John Houston also worked on Murders in the Room. Murders Morgue. in the Room. Morgue. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that one I knew. Why didn't Reigns do the sequel? Why didn't he do the follow-up Invisible Man picture? What was because it, he, because he was Cedric doing Hartwick? things like Casablanca. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he moved up in the world. I mean, uh, Besides, you got well, the interesting thing with Reigns is that he was a little guy. Yeah. So you have the the megalomania of the little guy, like right. little Hitler. He's working strong. for Capra. But then they went the other direction with the Invisible Man Returns with Vincent Price. The young Vincent was this big, tall, imposing mm-hmm. guy, and that worked too in a different way. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're gonna do more of these. We have to get to the Wolfman. We haven't. We got it. Oh yeah. my I'm, God! I'm, yes. I'm going in order. By the way, have you seen Ed Begley's parody on in Amazon Hysterical. Women on the Moon? Oh, of yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the, yeah. I think Carl. I think uh, uh, Carl Gottlieb. Oh, might have okay. written that. So two. two yeah, of where our, uh, he takes his pants. Yeah, earlier, <laughs> yes. You can't Invisible see anything. It's wonderful. Okay, Gil, we're going to do more of these. We're going to do an, uh, an actual episode on Halloween, which will be next week's show. You want to take us out with a little bit of uh, the vampire? Aha! To die, to be really dead, must be glorious. There are far worse things awaiting man than death. <laughs> Not bad. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> we'll see you next week. Gary's coming back. <laughs>